Jenny and I moved to Nicholasville from Greater Chicago back in 1992 so that I could attend Asbury Theological Seminary. And the next summer in 1993, I got a job at the Dairy Mart gas station, which is on the corner of Edgewood Drive and the Bypass. Now, back then in 1993, you didn't have the R.J. Corman headquarters there. You didn't have the R.J. Corman airstrip there. You didn't have McDonald's, Taco Bell, the convenience center, Save-A-Lot. Nothing was there but farmland and this Dairy Mart gas station. And I naively thought, because I didn't know better, that I would be going there to sell gas. Little did I know that I would be selling beer, cigarettes, and lottery tickets, things I could not do because I was a student at Asbury Theological Seminary. I was prohibited from drinking, smoking, and gambling. Life is full of irony, by the way, in case you haven't figured that out. Now, there was a young person working there, and I say young because I was maybe four years older than she was. She was 19 just out of high school and very pregnant. And she was so excited about this pregnancy. She was so excited. I'm having a baby, I'm having a baby, I'm having a baby. And she was thrilled every day. It was about the baby, about the baby, about the baby. And she would make this statement a lot. I'm finally gonna have someone who will just love me. And she was convinced that this baby was going to cause her boyfriend to propose to her and marry her. And she was going to become a wife and a stay-at-home mom. And she would finally be happy. This baby was her ticket to happiness. I'm going to ask you to do something. For all of you in the room today that are over the age of 30, would you stand for a moment? Over the age of 30, this is a sorting, okay? All right. Now... Based on what I've just told you, if you believe this young woman's thinking was reasonable, spot on, and would deliver her happiness, I want you to remain standing. If, however, you believe her thinking was unwise and had the potential to lead to disappointment or heartache, sit down. Young people, look around the room. There is not a single man or woman still standing. Let me tell you about the rest of her story. Her boyfriend broke up with her that summer. Her boyfriend then began to date another young woman whom he got pregnant. And she had that baby and then had to turn that baby over to her grandmother to watch her so that she could go back to work at Dairy Mart. At the time, I was only 24 years old, and I would go home and I would tell Jenny, man, this woman is stupid. She is an idiot. Like, is everybody in Kentucky this stupid? (laughs) Today in my 50s, I don't blame her one bit. I don't. I don't blame her one bit. I have fallen into a similar trap, a similar line of thinking believing that something or someone would make me happy. Here's some of the things I've thought. I'll be happy when I'm finally done with graduate school. I'll be happy when we can have a house of our own and we're not in this stinking small little duplex, little apartment. I will be happy when the kids are older and they're not four, three, five years old and a handful. I will be happy when we can have a minivan and actually fit their car seats in the vehicle. I could go on and on. 
because you are an American, you have fallen into a similar trap. You are convinced that something or someone would make you happy. My mother has made an evaluative statement about her life with my father when they were young several times over the last decade. And she has said this, Mark, because that's my real name, Mark, your dad and I were convinced that the grass was greener on the other side of the hill. And every year, year after year, we moved to a new city. Your dad took a new job. We bought a new house. He got a new company. It was a new title. And we were convinced that it would make us happy. And you know what? It was the exact same grass. It just looked greener from where we had come from. It was an illusion. As a pastor, I've gotten a front row seat to this American pursuit of happiness. I have done wedding ceremonies for people. This man, this woman will make me happy. And 10 years later or 15 years later, divorcing that man or that woman is what's going to make them happy. Uh, I've had people show up at generations from other churches talking about that horrible church or that lame pastor only to discover that Max Vanderpool is a sinner and that Generations Community Church is a church full of sinners. <laughs> we are constantly asking each other to evaluate our life circumstances based on feelings of happiness. Does he make you happy? Does she make you happy? Are you happy at that job? We ask this question as though it's an evaluative measuring stick. Can we be honest for a moment? We are not good at all at figuring out what makes us happy. We are not good at all at figuring out what makes us happy. Uh, and our feelings, woo, all the feelings on the inside, fickle as the Kentucky weather. Brutally hot one day, beautiful the next. Over the summer, I'm going to be teaching from six different psalms in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalms, as you know, is undiluted emotion. Oh, God, you're awesome. You're my rock and my redeemer. Oh, God, where are you? <laughs> and you know the rest of that statement. <laughs> okay? Undiluted emotion. So, it really, it is a book for all seasons because it's got praise and anguish, joy and sadness, triumph and defeat. Now, the Bible actually has a lot to say about happiness. In fact, the Bible claims over and over and over again that the mother load of happiness can only be found in a God-centered life. And so we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 today, Psalm chapter 1. Let me see if I can actually control the, the screens. Here we go. All right. Psalm chapter 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do, not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind, They'll be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So Psalm chapter 1 is really a psalm about 
happiness. Happy people walk, stand, and sit. That's these uh, phrases in the New Living Translation, follow, stand, or join in. The actual Hebrew words are walk, stand, and sit. And happy people are people who do not walk with the way wicked people do or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So I kind of want to unpack this because this is a metaphor. This is really not saying happy people just walk around, stand around, and sit around. It's talking about something else, okay? Walking is a metaphor for the decisions that we make all day long. Walking is a series of steps, particularly the moral decisions that we make all day long. It's where you and I live mentally, emotionally, and relationally. After you walk for a while, you get to where you're going, and when you do, you stop walking and you stand. And the standing part kind of speaks to the commitments that we make, the line of thinking that we adopt, the way that we choose to see life. You make your decisions, that's walking, and then your decisions make you, and that's standing. And you stop somewhere and you live there. And once you've stood somewhere long enough, you sit down. And where you're sitting, that's the attitude of your heart. And so again, the psalmist is talking in metaphor about how we go about living life. And he says something very particular. The happy people, the wise people, delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They like the word of God. They love the word of God. They take pleasure in hearing God's words, having it read to them, reading it themselves, learning how to live by God's word. Why did God say this? What does God mean by this? Uh, What am I supposed to do about this, right? And then meditating on it day and night. You know, it's really not a bad idea to start and end your day with a little bit of God's word. Um. Because of the pandemic, everything's been turned over in America and around the world, right? And the American Bible study uh, did a study in the midst of the pandemic about how people flourished or languished. And I want to read to you a summary of some of their findings. All people experience hurt. We know that's true from the song. Everybody hurts, okay? All people experience hurt. In the midst of these difficulties, though, the Bible and the church make a critical difference. When people turn to the Bible, they're better able to cope. They experience higher levels of hope and flourishing, and they're better able to forgive. Those relying on Scripture at greater than average levels also experience the highest levels of hope. Weird. Scripture engagement is significantly related to evidence of forgiveness. The more scripturally engaged someone is, the more likely they are to forgive someone else. And I would argue, in turn, makes you a happier person. (laughs) You ever been around somebody who's got a grudge, an axe to grind, somebody they're mad at? Are they fun to be around? (laughs) Right? The psalmist continues, these wise people, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. The most important organ in your body is your brain in many ways, right? Uh, It does all your thinking, and pound for pound, your brain consumes far more calories than any other organ. Did you know that? 2% of your body mass 
20% of your calorie intake. So if you're chomping down ribeyes, the brain is getting one out of every five calories. Okay? So feeding your brain God's word is like being planted near streams of water because the word, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the source of living water, right? So the word brings life. And so metaphorically, I'm just trying to unpack these metaphors, right? So uh, when you're feeding your brain the Bible on a regular basis, it's like being next to that stream of water, getting constant nourishment. You're constantly giving your brain the right nourishment. You're going to make better decisions. The, com- the, the compilers of the Psalms thought long and hard about the first Psalm that they would put in the Psalter. And they wanted everybody to know, in a sense, the secret of happiness. They wanted everyone to know the secret of sadness. And that's the second half of this Psalm. Verse 4, not the wicked. They're like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They'll be condemned. Uh, at the time of judgment, sinners will have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. I don't know if you're familiar with grain. I've not been around farms that much, but I know how grain works. The chaff is this kind of paper-like substance that goes around the wheat, like it goes around the kernels of the grain. And so when it's time to harvest it, back in the day, farmers would just throw it all up in the air And the wind would take that papery chaff and just blow it away, blow it away into nothing. And the grain would fall to the ground. True happiness is a byproduct of pursuing God. Let me say that again, because you're not going to hear this in America much. True happiness is always a byproduct of pursuing God, the author of all life the giver of all good gifts. And so pursuing anything else as an ultimate way of meaning and happiness is, one, idolatry, but two, it leads to misery and unhappiness. Idols make bad gods. (laughs) They just end up enslaving you, right? And so I want you to, I want you to have this understanding. So One of the first ways to kind of measure this is, do you delight in God's word? Do you want to hear it, read it, know it, understand it? Do you delight in God's word? Secondly, what are you counting on to make you happy? What are you hoping will make you happy? And then importantly so, for those of you over the age of 30, Were you right the last time? (laughs) Were you right the last time? Gotta ask. If you haven't been pursuing God, why? If you haven't been pursuing God, why? You're not sure you can trust him? Did he let you down along the way? You thought he should have zigged and he zagged? You were counting on something and you felt like he didn't deliver? Or are you afraid that he's going to wreck your life and ask you to be a missionary to some place around the world or turn you into a nun? If you haven't been pursuing God, why? And is that fear and understanding of God really who God is? So how can you and I take this home? Well, first of all, 
Bible intake, Bible intake. Read this book. Read this book. Study this book. Listen to this book. I know somebody in this congregation, she was in her 20s. One of the Bible challenges that we did, she had a 30, 45-minute commute into Lexington. She got her phone set to the Bible app, and she had God's Word read to her while she drove to work. And she went through the entire New Testament in a matter of months, right? Read this book. Study this book. Blessed is the person who studies this. And then the second thing is unrushed time. This is something we do poorly. We do everything on the go. We eat on the go. We're on the go. Blah, 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 blah. Go, 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 go. We're like the, that Dr. Seuss book. Go, dogs, go. They crash in the book. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> okay. And so we do all of life like that. Now, you don't have to, like, if, if you're not doing anything right now throughout the day, let me make a starter suggestion. Two or three times a day, pause for three, four, five minutes. Do the Jesus prayer. This is the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Another prayer that you can pray is, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Right now in the car, I want to kill some of these people on US 27. Come, <laughs> come, Holy Spirit, in my home. Come, Holy Spirit, in this place of work. Come, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. I want you. I need you. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay? And you can just spend two, three, five minutes in the morning, a break at noon, later in the day, and it's two, three touch points to open your heart and your hands to your maker and the lover of your soul. And then the third thing is coming alongside others who are pursuing God. And, and I'm talking about contexts that are not Sunday morning. So it matters that you're here for worship, but this dynamic... I mean, we're not getting to know each other that well. <laughs> I'm not hearing your story right now. And so it's the sitting across from each other, oikos meals, Monday night uh, Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, like these groups that are in people's homes. That's where the real deal stuff happens. You can get it some, often with serving alongside people. You join the worship team or the sound team. You're going to do worship, music, sound, kids. You're going to do those things, but you're also going to be doing life. One of the most effective discipleship programs this church has ever had was called Sunday Morning Setup. It was called Sunday Morning Setup. Yes, it's several people. So a lot of the guys are shaking their heads. So this worked great for men. You show up at the butt crack of dawn, you spend an hour with other men moving a bunch of heavy stuff around. I, I remember I had to climb the bleachers with no ladder hook this giant come-along thing to one I-beam, and then we would stretch this giant curtain so that we could cut the gym in half of the gym that we met at, at the elementary school. But here's the thing. While we were moving chairs and setting up heavy equipment and putting speakers on stands, we were also talking about life. How do I trust God? How do I know God's really forgiven me? What is God saying to me right now? How do I even know what's up and down? Here's an issue I got with my son. How do I work this out? Like, it all is just right. 
So that's what I mean by coming alongside. Another thing that you could do is see the people around this room. You could get together with them twice a month for a meal You'd be or play card games. You'd be surprised at what happens just over some, you know, pasta salad and some euchre. I don't know if you play euchre. You probably play something else, right? Okay. So those are three suggestions that I have. Why is this important? Well, I can remember back in the 2000s, I had a hope in my heart. And that hope in my heart was with Bill Gates and Microsoft because they were coming out with the Windows phone. Hold your laughter out of respect for your pastor, the man, a man of God. <laughs> they did have a funeral for the iPhone. So I waited. I was convinced because at the time I had Outlook and I had this and that, and I was trying to get Outlook to talk to Google and Google to talk to Outlook, and, and I was having to use all these third parties, you know, extra programs to get everything to sync together, and I, I was convinced. I get this Windows phone, it will sync seamlessly. My life will unlock before me. It will be like a giant light, and I'll just, it'll be awesome. And then I got the phone, and then I realized that nobody was making apps for the Windows phone. And then Windows decided about a year or two later, well, this phone sucks. <laughs> and they just ditched it. And they ditched it. And so it didn't deliver everything that I thought it would do for me. Why would any of us believe that a phone or a house or a job or a man or a woman or a kid or anything could make us happy or certainly make us happier than the Lord God Almighty could, the maker of heaven and earth, the giver of all good gifts. Again, true happiness can only be found in a God-centered life because God is the author of life itself and God is the author of everything that is truly good and everything that truly lasts. And so I want to challenge you today, Team Generations, to remember that happiness is rooted in a God-centered life. I want to invite our musicians to come up uh, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to pray for you and me, because we could use some prayer. I could use some prayer. Father, I'm sorry. Here I am in all my life, and I went to two, I went to two different Christian schools, and I got all these degrees, and there have been all these times in my life, and I was sure that Windows phone was going to deliver something. I was sure of it. How can I be so foolish to put that kind of trust in anything other than you. Father, give us eyes to see with clarity who you are through the person and work of Jesus Christ. What an amazingly complete picture of your love for us, your rescue of us from sin, death, and darkness, and your extravagant love and graciousness toward us. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to pause. That's something we can do this week. We can pause two or three times a day and open our hearts and our hands to you. We want to be the blessed man, the blessed woman that Psalm 1 talks about. Help us this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.